Articles 2 and 3 of a Treatise on the Power and Primacy of the Pope by Philip Melanchthon. Translated by F. Bente and W. H. T. Dow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The second article is still clearer. That Christ gave to the apostles only spiritual power, that is, the command to teach the gospel, to announce the forgiveness of sins, to administer the sacraments, to excommunicate the godless without bodily force by the word, and that he did not give the power of the sword, or the right to establish, occupy, or confer kingdoms of the world, to set up or depose kings. For Christ says, Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen and 20, Go ye, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Also John twenty twenty-one, As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Now it is manifest that Christ was not sent to bear the sword, or possess a worldly kingdom, rule in a worldly fashion. As he himself says, John 18.36, My kingdom is not of this world. And Paul says, 2 Corinthians 1.24, Not for that we have dominion over your faith. And 2 Corinthians 10.4, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, and so forth. Accordingly, that Christ in his passion is crowned with thorns and led forth to be derided in royal purple, this signified that in the future, after his spiritual kingdom was despised, that is, the gospel was suppressed, another kingdom of a worldly kind would be set up in its place with the pretext of classical power. Therefore the constitution of Boniface the Eighth and the chapter Omnes, distinction 22, and similar opinions which contend that the Pope is by divine right the ruler of the kingdoms of the world, are utterly false and godless. From this persuasion horrible darkness has been brought upon the Church, and after that also great commotions have arisen in Europe. For the ministry of the gospel was neglected. The knowledge of faith and the spiritual kingdom became extinct. Christian righteousness was supposed to be that external government which the Pope had established. Next, the popes began to seize upon kingdoms for themselves. They transferred kingdoms. They vexed with unjust excommunications and wars the kings of almost all nations in Europe, but especially the German emperors, sometimes for the purpose of occupying cities of Italy, at other times for the purpose of reducing to subjection the bishops of Germany, and wresting from the emperors the conferring of episcopates. Yea, in the Clementines it is even written, When the empire is vacant, the pope is the legitimate successor. Thus the pope has not only usurped dominion, contrary to Christ's command, but has also tyrannically exalted himself above all kings. And in this matter the deed itself is not to be reprehended as much as it is to be detested, that he assigns as a pretext the authority of Christ, that he transfers the keys to a worldly government, that he binds salvation to these godless and execrable opinions, when he says it is necessary to salvation for men to believe that this dominion belongs to him by divine right. Since these great errors obscure the doctrine of faith and of the kingdom of Christ, they are in no way to be concealed, for the result shows that they have been great pests to the church. In the third place, this must be added. Even though the bishops of Rome had the primacy and superiority by divine right, nevertheless obedience would not be due those pontiffs who defend godless services, 
idolatry, and doctrine conflicting with the gospel. Nay, such pontiffs and such a government ought to be held accursed, as Paul clearly teaches Galatians 1.8. Though an angel from heaven preached any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And in Acts 5.29, we ought to obey God rather than men. Likewise, the canons also clearly teach that a heretical pope is not to be obeyed. The Levitical high priest was the chief priest by divine right, and yet godless high priests were not to be obeyed, as Jeremiah and other prophets dissented from the high priests, the apostles dissented from Caiaphas, and did not have to obey them. Now, it is manifest that the Roman pontiffs, with their adherents, defend and practice godless doctrines and godless services, and the marks all the vices of Antichrist plainly agree with the kingdom of the Pope and his adherents. For Paul, in describing Antichrist to the Thessalonians, calls him, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3-4, an adversary of Christ, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God. He speaks therefore of one ruling in the church, not of heathen kings, and he calls this one the adversary of Christ, because he will devise doctrine conflicting with the gospel, and will assume to himself divine authority. Moreover, it is manifest in the first place that the Pope rules in the church, and by the pretext of ecclesiastical authority and of the ministry has established for himself this kingdom. For he assigns as a pretext these words, I will give to thee the keys. Secondly, the doctrine of the Pope conflicts in many ways with the gospel, and, thirdly, the Pope assumes to himself divine authority in a threefold manner, first, because he takes to himself the right to change the doctrine of Christ and services instituted by God, and wants his own doctrine and his own services to be observed as divine, secondly, because he takes to himself the power not only of binding and loosing in this life, but also the jurisdiction over souls after this life, Thirdly, because the Pope does not want to be judged by the Church or by anyone, and puts his own authority ahead of the decision of councils and the entire Church. But to be unwilling to be judged by the Church or by anyone is to make oneself God. Lastly, these errors so horrible, and this impiety, he defends with the greatest cruelty, and puts to death those dissenting. This being the case, all Christians ought to beware of becoming partakers of the godless doctrine, blasphemies, and unjust cruelty of the Pope. On this account they ought to desert and execrate the Pope with his adherents as the kingdom of Antichrist. Just as Christ has commanded, Matthew 7.15, Beware of false prophets. And Paul commands that godless teachers should be avoided and execrated as accursed. Galatians 1.8 Titus 3.10. And he says, 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what communion hath light with darkness? To dissent from the agreement of so many nations and to be called schismatics is a grave matter, but divine authority commands all not to be allies and defenders of impiety and unjust cruelty. On this account, our consciences are sufficiently excused for the errors of the kingdom of the Pope are manifest, and scriptures, 
with its entire voice, exclaims that these errors are a teaching of demons and of Antichrist. The idolatry and the profanation of the masses is manifest, which, besides other faults, besides being altogether useless, are shamelessly applied to most shameful gain and trafficking. The doctrine of repentance has been utterly corrupted by the Pope and his adherents, for they teach that sins are remitted because of the worth of our works. Then they bid us doubt whether the remission takes place. They nowhere teach that sins are remitted freely for Christ's sake, and that by this faith we obtain remission of sins. Thus they obscure the glory of Christ, and deprive consciences of firm consolation, and abolish true divine services, namely, the exercises of faith struggling with unbelief and despair concerning the promise of the gospel. They have obscured the doctrine concerning sin, and have invented a tradition concerning the enumeration of offenses producing many errors and despair. They have devised, in addition, satisfactions whereby they have also obscured the benefit and merit of Christ. From these, indulgences have been born, which are pure lies, fabricated for the sake of gain. Then, how many abuses and what horrible idolatry the invocation of saints has produced! What shameful acts have arisen from the tradition concerning celibacy! What darkness and doctrine concerning vows has spread over the gospel! There they feign that vows are righteousness before God and merit the remission of sins. Thus they have transferred the benefit of Christ to human traditions, and have altogether extinguished the doctrine concerning faith. They have feigned that the most trifling traditions are services of God and perfection, and have preferred these to the works of callings which God requires and has ordained. Neither are these errors to be regarded as light, for they detract from the glory of Christ and bring destruction to souls. Neither can they be passed by unnoticed. Then to these errors two great sins are added. The first, that he defends these errors by unjust cruelty and death penalties. The second, that he wrests the decision from the church and does not permit ecclesiastical controversies, such matters of religion, to be judged according to the prescribed mode. Yea, he contends that he is above the council and can rescind the decrees of councils, as the canon sometimes impudently speak but that this was much more impudently done by the pontiffs, examples testify. Question 9, Canon 3 says, No one shall judge the first seat, for the judge is judged neither by the emperor, nor by all the clergy, nor by the kings, nor by the people. The Pope exercises a twofold tyranny. He defends his errors by force and by murders, and forbids judicial examination. The latter does even more injury than any executions, because when the true judgment of the church is removed, godless dogmas and godless services cannot be removed, and for many ages they destroy innumerable souls. Therefore let the godly consider the great errors of the kingdom of the Pope and his tyranny, and let them ponder, first, that the errors must be rejected and the true doctrine embraced for the glory of God and to the salvation of souls. Then let them ponder also how great a crime it is to aid unjust cruelty in killing saints, whose blood God will undoubtedly avenge. But especially the chief members of the church, kings and princes, ought to guard the interests of the church, and to see to it that errors be removed and consciences be healed, rightly instructed, 
as God expressly exhorts kings, Psalms 2.10. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth, for it should be the first care of kings and great lords to advance the glory of God. Therefore it would be very shameful for them to lend their influence and power to confirm idolatry and infinite other crimes, and to slaughter saints. And even though the Pope should hold synods, a council, how can the Church be healed if the Pope suffers nothing to be decreed contrary to his will, if he allows no one to express his opinion except his adherents, whom he has bound by dreadful oaths and curses to the defense of his tyranny and wickedness, without any exception concerning God's word, not even the word of God being accepted? But since the decisions of synods are the decisions of the Church, and not of the Pope's, it is especially incumbent on kings to check the license of the popes, not allow such wantonness, and to act so that the power of judging and decreeing from the word of God is not wrested from the church. And as the rest of the Christians must censure all other errors of the pope, so they must also rebuke the pope when he evades and impedes the true investigation and true decision of the church. Therefore, even though the bishop of Rome had the primacy by divine right, yet, since he defends godless services and doctrine conflicting with the gospel, obedience is not to do him. Yea, it is necessary to resist him as antichrist. The errors of the pope are manifest and not trifling. Manifest also is the cruelty against godly Christians which he exercises, and it is clear that it is God's command that we flee idolatry, godless doctrine, and unjust cruelty. On this account, all the godly have great, compelling, and manifest reasons for not obeying the Pope. And these compelling reasons comfort the godly against all the reproaches which are usually cast against them concerning offenses, schism, and discord which they are said to cause. But those who agree with the Pope and defend his doctrine and false services, defile themselves with idolatry and blasphemous opinions, become guilty of the blood of the godly, whom the Pope and his adherents persecutes, detracts from the glory of God, and hinder the welfare of the Church, because they strengthen errors and crimes to all posterity in the sight of all the world, and to the injury of all descendants. End of Article 3 Recording by Jonathan Lang